Welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so that people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. My name's Jo. And I'm Jerry. Welcome back to Series 4. Uh, last podcast, we talked about social work in middle age, which is our age. Um, and these B podcasts, second podcast of each month, we're looking at big issues and we looked at homelessness last month. Um, we're going to be looking at colonialism this month, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, I've got a few thank yous, people who've liked us on Facebook and shared us on Twitter, um, particularly Elisa Sharp, who sent us a Facebook message which said, you guys are great. I'm 16 years qualified and I find this podcast really helpful, which is just great feedback. Really nice to hear. So thank yes. you very much for taking the time to do that. Yeah, that's lovely. Um, you can tell us what you think on our Facebook page, Helpful Social Work Podcast, or on our website, www.helpfulsocialwork.com, or by commenting on iTunes. And just to let people know, we won't be doing podcasts in December because we only do 10 months of the year, so we don't do them in um, August or December. So this will be the last one for a little while. But we'll have our book out, Jerry. Oh, yes. The, um, yeah. the first book is just about um, getting signed off, isn't it? And it is. That will cover series one and series two A podcasts, which are the ones about the kind of ecological layers of social work, starting with yourself and thinking about how you relate to others and to the environment and colleagues and other agencies out to the public. Um, so that will, that will be really great when that comes out. Yes, quite excited. We're quite excited about that. It'll be downloadable. So it'll be fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so Jerry, you said we were going to talk about colonialism today. Yes, and <laughs> I'm a bit nervous about this. This will relate to some extent to the podcast that we did around anti-racism. Uh, there is a fair amount of overlap. There's some overlap as well with the climate justice topic. Mm -hmm. When we started looking into this, actually, it was really helpful to just start with a definition. Uh, so should we do that and then... Yep, that sounds Talk smart. Shall, shall I give out the definition? Yep. Here? Yep. So, the policy or practice of acquiring full or partial political control over another country, occupying it with settlers and exploiting it economically. So, the key ideas there are about control, occupation and exploitation. And I think the um, interesting thing here is um, that it's often presented as beneficial somehow. As if um, it's that joke, isn't it? What did the Romans do for us? Then we yeah, know. absolutely. Because the people who get to write the history about this tend to be the people who have done the occupation, exploitation, mm. or or had mm. the control. And it covers all kinds of ways you can impose on other people. So you might impose law or political structures or economic structures, trade agreements. You might impose beliefs, um, day to day life, cultural ways of doing things, and um, Joe and I obviously, from our kind of North European sort of uh, Australian background, we've got mm. uh, a history really of thinking about European empires that went from the 15th century um, across the whole world. Uh, then slightly later on, there was kind of imperial Japan, in, uh, China and the US. There's missionary movements um i'm catholic there's movements that have um like the catholic church that have mm. have gone out to other places and imposed uh cultural ideas religious ideas i suppose fundamentally it's about a group of people thinking that they 
have some sort of right to uh, to impose their way of life or um, things to their advantage on another group of people. Mm. I mean, I think it's nice, you know, thinking they are superior and exploiting another group, including any or all elements of their world. You know, it's that idea, isn't it, that there's there's a justification for you doing that about your own superiority or indeed about the things that you'll be able to bring Christianity, redemption, good health, railways, whatever, railways whatever often it is given as a justification, amazingly. Yeah, 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 that's right. So, yeah, and there's a few different types, isn't there? Yeah, so. Yeah, so there might be settler colonialism, which is where you, people move in and live in places. Mm-hmm. Um, so Australia yes, would be an example Australia. of that. Uh, Absolutely. Exploitation colonialism, which is more about using natural resources or the population as labour or uh, you know, trading in goods. So the East India Company from the United Kingdom that uh, imposed on India uh, mm. or uh, where you know, the slave trade, obviously, is a major example of that kind of exploitation of, of people. Mm. Uh, you might have surrogate colonialism where you... Uh, bring another group in Uh, so a a power would bring in another group Um, so for example in Fiji the British Empire brought a lot of people from India into the islands and you can also have powers that interfere by promoting a particular group within a country that happened a lot in the Cold War of course empires um, imposing often minority rule which has led to really far-reaching consequences and i mean i think that surrogate colonialism and internal colonialism but to me it feels that there are many places in the world where that's actually still happening interference and use of power Mm. happens everywhere and that's that's something Mm. that um obviously we've we've talked about a bit in preparing for this actually you know how is this still happening where is it still happening um and and really everything from kind of our day-to-day lives, so the kind of products that we can access and the impact that might have on um, natural resources in another part of the world, the way that we use resources, the way that um, uh, our countries might politically lean on other countries, economic power mm-hmm. through global trade and uh, global companies. All of these kind of things are still happening. So I suppose our first thing is we need to be really aware of this be able to see it yes and and that's that, that's the interesting thing isn't it because you kind of take it for granted i guess that that's this this is the way the world is is that kind of argument isn't it um you it's here you might as well use it there's all sorts of little ways that we that we justify this stuff but it isn't always easy to see and i think you had a really useful way of thinking about yeah. this which is yeah. about the window on the world so we've, yeah. we've been talking about our own place in this and we have kind of a slightly mixed histories but essentially mm. i'm british yeah, citizen joe's an australian and british citizen there's there's a lot of um of, of historical colonialism mm. here that we have benefited from and the window that we each had when we were growing up was very much dictated by the place that we had in the world the view that you would take yeah and I think for me because I you know as I've I've, as I've said to you Jerry I I grew up um in a mining town uh at the top of uh Australia in the Northern Territory and my view 
of growing up as a child, looking out on the Aboriginal people who lived a parallel but not the same life as us, um, was very much contradicted when I went when I left and and went away and started to learn about um, the people that had lived up there, the Yolongnu people, and the really big fight that they put up um, to actually make sure. But that that mine didn't happen, although it did. And I found this lovely quote from um, W.E.H. Stanner uh, in the 1968 Boyer Lectures. This is how long ago it was. But it said, um, history itself is tied to the process of colonialisation. Can it accommodate perspectives outside its colonisation apparatus? And it was this idea that it's a structural matter, a view from a window that has been very carefully placed to exclude a whole quadrant of the landscape. And that's kind of what I realised my childhood had been like. It had been like I'd been educated and looked through a window that had been very carefully placed to exclude the experience and the oppression and the distress of the Indigenous people of that land that I was occupying. Yeah. So what we're trying to do in this podcast um, is to shift our window mm. and and the things that we've learned as we've kind of gone along um, in our personal and professional lives and also more recently as we've been trying to kind of grapple with some of these issues are about shifting that perspective. But it's a lifelong endeavour. And I think one of the things that is really hopeful, actually, is that it's a endeavour that is gaining a lot of traction. Mm. Um, you know, in our own kind of lifetimes, we've seen really, really big shifts here. Nothing like enough. Um, but the fact is that the questions about whose story is told, who gets remembered, how do we understand history? How do we understand the, the place um, and the roles people have taken? How do we understand how people have um, the impact of these things, how people have benefited or, or missed out? Those debates are becoming more and more um, important and powerful. I mean, that's definitely the case in Australia. There's there's much more strength in the debates. And one of the things that I was heartened, I was kind of looking up. You know, you get you get interested in your in your own past when you think about this, really, because as you say, we've we've um, had a lot to do with um, colonisation and um, colonialism over the over over our lifetime and over the lifetime of, of, of many of us. And um, I was really heartened to see that all the information that I could find around Nolomboyan Gove was very, very strongly about Indigenous people setting up their own structures, doing their own thing, really taking that land back. Also now, one of the things I've realised is I've locked... Because that's the other thing you do. You don't mean to, do you? But you lock people in a story, in an old story, and you don't actually let there be any evolution and it's so when you've taken that power and you own it all and you look at it in that way if you don't forget to relook or to rechange the windows you're looking out of you can lock people in an old story and, and that hopefully leads us into this um the brief thing i wanted to say about the impact of colonialism so there's a, a lot of different impacts in different places from colonialism and uh, some of the big issues are kind of the obvious ones, loss of land, loss of way of life or traditional culture, slavery, 
um, loss of freedom, artificial borders and structures that have caused ongoing conflict, uh, ongoing oppression, discrimination, inequality. But there is also a real need to take care because people weren't just oppressed. They also opposed colonialism. People weren't passive actors. And that that's something we have to kind of bear in mind. And also, it's not just about the the people who had power imposed on them. It's also about the benefits to the powerful. So we've got to be really aware of the positive impacts for dominant people. So it's not just that some people are doing worse than they would have otherwise, despite so their endeavours. Some better. people are doing better. <laughs> Once again, I kind of was... Um interested in the different types of resistance because once again you know one of the things that I was taught or that I observe I absorbed or that I you know you never know as a child where you get all your information from but a belief that I ended up with was that um, the Aboriginal people were very passive and that they didn't have many structures and they didn't have um, many uh, different ways for us to negotiate with them and so, there, but, but there's this really interesting stuff that I found out. And there's, you know, this idea of, well, you can have active resistance, but actually other people might think it's smarter to resist more subtly, undermining evasions, maintaining your own traditional way of living as far as possible, or you might decide to cooperate. I mean, some people by their nature will be actively resistant, but there's many different ways to resist, isn't there? Yeah, and I think we're only beginning to hear those stories now isn't it again it's just it's the question of whose story gets told um, yeah and so when we want to understand impact we have to hear what that is from the people whose impact it was um yeah uh the other thing that we kind of need to consider in this podcast is the is social work's role in this definitely so social work is also much of it has been colonialist um mm. so if we think about the sort of theory and traditions and practices, many of those have come from dominant cultures and still do. Yes. Um, it's very possible for social work because of the power that's inherent in it to act colonially, mm -hmm. uh, to dominate or, or um, put its own uh, beliefs and practices onto people. And we do have really clear um, examples of that. For example, um, forced adoptions that went on in lots of different places um, that both of our countries were involved Just in. Just stolen generation, yeah, for um, the Aboriginal people. And I think, again, there's a positive um, shift here that we see social work engaging with this history. I think social workers of you know, of goodwill and awareness have always tried to um, and people who can teach us have generously done that and also you know challenged and pushed and resisted so there's a few ways that I see social work trying to engage with this this problem one is um, overcoming the idea that it's only the powerful who get to say what knowledge should be part of social work so our international mm. federation definition of social work includes uh, that it's underpinned by theories of social work social sciences humanities and indigenous knowledge and we also see practices coming in to social work uh, to challenge that kind of north european dominant um, philosophical approach so family group conferences for example that originated in new zealand mm. and were about bringing in maori values and culture into social work and I think also there are, there are efforts within social work to repair the relational damage and to act differently in future. 
The reason I'm silent, Jerry, is because I'm thinking about family group conferences and the problem is how you distort things in the implementation, isn't it? Like you take something and then you put your own structures and value system and all those things on it and you can quite often change the intent of it quite a lot. Um, and I do think that's one of the things that we have to watch out for is that we don't appropriate things um, because we see the value in them and then in the way we implement them, we lose the very things that we thought were valuable. Um, because we are very good at trying to help people in a way that the dominant society says is helpful. And, and I do think that that's something that we ought to be kind of trying to understand, that the, the people that we're working with, do they see us as helpful? Do they experience what we're offering as help? Or do they experience what we're offering as either more of the same or as um, kind of dismissing of, of what's happening, of what, of what their own experience is? And I don't know that we're very good at knowing the difference, I guess. No, we won't necessarily, will we? Think about the um, the problem of unconscious bias. Mm. We absolutely need to be relationally engaged with people so that we can understand um, how how what we're doing is, is playing out. You know, it's yeah. good intentions are nothing like enough. Um, and we're not talking about just making changes there's a whole lot of legacy to overcome and there's huge we just need to be hugely curious don't we but in the, in the, in the right way and one of the things that i think does happen and you've you've touched on this a few times is the fact that there is often no good reason for people who have been um, colonized there's there's no good reason for them to trust us if you've been impacted on by colonialism, then it must be very hard to think that the structures which have been part of oppressing you are also contain people who are curious and want to get it right or want to do better. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think it's um, a recognition not only of... of of who we are as individuals, but also what structures and, and powers are we operating within and how oh, are those oh. perceived? Because this is partly about the personal um, relationship we have with people, but it's also about our representation. Yeah. And that's, and, and, and thinking of ourselves as part of the structure is really important, isn't it? Because we have to be able to see our roles structurally and see how other people perceive them and kind of, you know, like I said about that window earlier, we need to really start picking our windows up and shifting them to other places so we're looking out and thinking, you know, how does that, is there another way to look at this and understand it and how would I do something about it? So then challenging that or changing it, I guess, are two really important social work roles. So when we, I was thinking about how we might act on, yeah. so once you understand or see this more, 
what then you know how then do you process this into action and i think that the mm. anti-oppressive practice layers of personal cultural and structural are really helpful so at a personal level it's thinking about having a personal history before we were born mm. so a personal story that includes where where we came from um and that's that being the case for everyone and understanding the the relationship that we will have had in history so that when we are working with people on an individual basis we'll be thinking about how does who we are now but also the historical relationship yeah. affect us and then culturally there's the recognition of the impact of colonialism on how people can live out their day-to-day life um the respect and non-appropriation for people's culture um We'll, yeah. we'll probably get a glimpse of it, but people's um, cultural environment, if they've not had, if they've not been able to own it, it will, you know, there'll be tramplings from other people across that environment. And so trying to understand what matters to people, what they might have lost, what they've held on to, how they've done that, how we can respect all of those yeah. things. I mean, I think that's a particularly interesting question once again, you know, for Australia, because there certainly has been, you know, very significant um, cases in the past around land rights, um, and in particular the Mabo decision in the 90s, which has resulted in land being given back to Aboriginal people. But once again, not all the land that they wanted, because it can only be crown land, and there's all sorts of caveats on those claims. Um, and then there's registered land use agreements um, that for mining or for, for farming or for all sorts of other things. So even if there's a right and a recognition that Indigenous people have a right to claim their land back, there are all sorts of ways that that land has been used and changed that means that, that they're not getting back perhaps what they remembered or would want or, or can even find the right connections to it again. It's uh, it's not simple, is it, once you've kind of stood all over someone else's ground to erase your footprints effectively. Yeah. And the, the third level, which is the structural level, um, that that's kind of the, and we've talked about this a little bit, that's where... Um, we can see how the powers still play playing mm. out, how those um, power differentials and how colonial type relationships still exist. And I think this is one of the things that social work is is really it's really positive about social work. Social work is committed to not just the the personal and and social relationships we have with people, but real understanding of our structural relationships. Yeah. Um, what are the barriers? What are the um the power relationships mm. and how can we hand over power if we need to how can we help people take power how can we um you know those social workers who who need to how can they take power from the structures um and and thinking not just about what we do within the structures that exist but how might we want to change them um so there's we don't have any answers, unfortunately, for this. Um, there are people who are doing great work. Um, and the, the most useful idea I found actually was 
a quote that I think a lot of people will probably be aware of um, from the from an Aboriginal activist group in Queensland in the 70s, which said, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Everyone's freedom is bound up together, isn't it? Absolutely. And just, yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's it's about... You're right. We don't have any answers to this, and and I I mean I've been quite a lot of this podcast, and one of the reasons I have been is because I'm just thinking all the time about it. You know, it's a real. It really resonates with me these topics. And as I get older, as a practitioner, I realise that these are the foundation topics that we should all be resting our practice on. You know, we really need to draw on the concept of, you know, inherent dignity and rights and space for everybody to, uh, you know, to have their, have their liberty and to be able to function in ways that they want to and that part of our work is to be curious about how we can contribute to that. So it's almost like our underlying mission is is much bigger than the small on top jobs we're given. Does that make sense? Like your job might be to go and talk to somebody about whether they need to have home help or whether they need to move into residential or, or, or having an interview with them in a hospital. But underneath that is, as you say, their whole history and experience of how they have been helped by our society, how they've interacted with it who they are and all of those journeys. And that matters because that informs the way we behave with people, I think. So there's there's just something about these questions that are really important. I, I just think these these topics that we've talked about these time this time, even though perhaps we don't know a lot about them, I definitely don't know a lot about them, that they're really worthwhile spending the time thinking about, in my opinion. And you know, kind of going back to them time and time again. Yeah, and one of the reasons I think that we're struggling a little bit with it is because of the because we're conflicted. And there was a really oh. useful piece of advice that was shared at the uh, International Global Social Work Conference last year, which is from Matthews, um, which is that privileged people must live as a problem. You can't avoid complicity in injustice whilst also fighting it. So, you know. Yeah. You and I are living out both, aren't we? We are complicit mm. in Absolutely. the injustice. We're part of its persistence and we're also trying to fight it. Yeah. Um, and we like the benefits we got from it. Yeah. So there is... That's, a, you know, that's the truth of it, isn't it, Jerry? Is that actually being a privileged person brings benefits that I would like everyone to have, but I don't want to give what I've got up. But someone had to give what I had up in order for me to have what I have. The other uh, concept I found really, really helpful from, from that conference as well was, was advice around um, recognition if you're on someone else's lands. So mm. This was from a workshop on working um, in, in colonial places. Um, yep. So consider how you've come to be on the land and acknowledge where you've journeyed from, that you're a visitor on the traditional territory. And I've seen that some people on Twitter have said, you know, I work in this university, which is on these um, yes. people's lands. Yes. So and that recognition that we're stepping onto other people's territory. Yeah. And that's something that that they do do a lot of in Australia now. So, you know, there's a lot of proper recognition 
of the lands we're on belonging to other people and recognising the traditional owners. And often when we open conferences or, as you say, when we're at our schools and other venues, we're recognising the traditional owners of that land as well. And once again, it's about what does that mean and is it helpful and does it move, does it, does it kind of lift that yoke of oppression and difficulty that people face? I think it's a helpful concept to take into all of social work, isn't it? Because essentially, if we're stepping into someone else's life, we are stepping yeah, onto on their land. land. So acknowledging where we've come from and why we're there and who we are and where what our path has been to that and recognising the other person's path to that and being really open about the all the power that's played out within that, mm. um, I think will help with the relationship and the the way that we work in the future the, the other thing that I found that I thought was helpful was from community social work the golden rule that you never do for someone else what they can do for themselves and that's just a really helpful check for me because of course what you think is helpful um, mm. can often be doing to people so yeah. this whole conversation has been a reminder about what, what do we mean by helpful yes um, we mean helpful from an alliance when we're working towards the same liberation not helpful as in my idea of what you should have in your life and that's a struggle in social work isn't it because we're quite often given a role that is go do this that's what i was i was just about to say the fact is that in social work we're often commissioned by the power structures to keep thing to keep the status quo i mean a lot of a lot of social workers are commissioned to keep the status quo and even though social work itself is a role which should be about advocacy and about challenge. Sometimes we end up in places where we're doing less of that and more of maintaining the status quo. So I think the, the reflective questions are you know, what's our experience of colonialism and the impact on who we are now personally and professionally as social workers? How can we work with people as if our, you know, with that sense of liberation being bound up together? Yes. And then this idea of the window, I really love that, Joe. So how do we shift our window? For me, one of the things that I've realised is that you've got to move that window lots of times. You, you can't set a window in and think, this is my view. Every time you do it, you've got to think, well, this is the view. I'm, I'm looking at at the moment, well, how can I move that window to see what other views are around? So it's multiple views that you're looking for. I, I did spend a lot of time working on this and I, I looked at lots of different research and I read lots of different things and really what I came out with um, was a real sense of of, of, as you say, your own personal history and your own personal construct and how you've got to really be willing to challenge that and lay it down um, and and look look from other people's points of view at things because it's very easy to interpret your own experience as the truth and it's actually not very helpful in social work is the conclusion I've come to because it makes it very narrow. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think my experience of talking about this and some other the other kind of really challenging topics have been that it's it's left me feeling very ignorant, but also very curious. And I think that's mm. that's good. You know, we are part of 
being a good human is being being interested in and invested in other people's experiences. Well, it's wherever you turn over the the, the um, stones of ignorance in yourself, you need to kind of rejoice about that, don't you, really? And um, go, okay, here's another rock that I didn't even realise was in my garden that I've got to upend and look at what's underneath and have a really good hard think about that and try and see. And for me, it just keeps coming back to the structural stuff. I just keep thinking, yes, as an individual, you have to be authentic and you have to act with honour and good intention all the time, but you also have to always be looking at the structures you're part of and asking yourself, are they serving only you or are they serving only a certain group? Are there people excluded from this? And how can I challenge that? Because I think that challenging structure is, is a really important part of social work.